obviously we are reviewing the nine marks of a healthy church as a church family. The nine marks of a healthy church are based on the book by that name, written by Pastor Mark Dever, who is the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And I would encourage you, if you don't have this book, nine, simply Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever, I would encourage you to purchase a copy of this book. As I said last week, if you are unable to do that, I will give you a copy. We think it's that important. This is a very, these nine marks are very important to us as church leaders. I preached through every one of the nine marks. I did an introduction in all nine marks in a 10-week series back in the spring of 2006. So if you would like all the supporting verses that go along with it, you can get a copy of that entire series from the church office or you can just read through the book. But we think it is very important in helping us to evaluate our church. Are we a healthy church? Are we doing things biblically? Um, it was interesting after the service uh, last Sunday night, I was talking with Karen Leaf and she was telling me that her daughter Monica is joining a church out in Maryland and uh, the pastor of that church said, here we want all of our new members to read this book and she handed him the nine, her the nine marks of a healthy church. So, sounds like a good church to me that she's joining. And uh, you know, it, when Karen told me that, and that church wanting all their new members to read this book, um, this has been a blessing to pastors, it really has. Um, in fact, the entire Nine Marks ministry has been an, a real blessing. I was once sharing with someone um, that in all my years of ministry, um, I don't think anything has been more of a blessing to me than the Nine Marks ministry and the Gospel Coalition and Together for the Gospel. Those three ministries, I think, have helped pastors all over the United States to really clarify what it is that is so important for the church and why the church must biblically continue to be the centerpiece of God's work in the world. And so I continue to challenge all of you. What is a healthy church? If someone were to ask you that question, what is a healthy church, what would you say? As I mentioned last Sunday night, sometimes we use certain criteria. For example, we might go somewhere and say, well, what kind of children's ministries do they have? Are they a friendly church? What kind of music do they have? And I'm not saying to you that those things are unimportant, but I am saying to you they are not the most important things. They can have good children's ministries. They can be friendly. And they can have the type of music that you like and not be a healthy church. Do you know it's possible for a liberal church to have all those things? It is. It's possible for a liberal church that doesn't even teach the scriptures correctly to have all those kinds of things. So there must be something more. There must be something more biblical. And I continue to challenge you who are teenagers here or college students or just in the young adult category. Um, inevitably, some of you are going to, because of your 
uh, job or because of marriage, move away from the St. John's area and you are going to, just like Monica, you're going to be looking for a church. And you need to know what is a healthy church? What kind of church are you looking for? And so last week we looked at the first three marks of a healthy church. The first mark of a healthy church and the most important one because the other eight marks will fall apart if this one isn't in place. The first mark of a healthy church is expositional preaching. And expositional preaching is very simply preaching the Bible as it's written. Mark Dever said it's kind of like real estate. The most important thing is location, location, location. You need to keep the passage in its historical and grammatical context. Preach it as it's written. Preach it as God has revealed it to us. And we saw the Levites in Nehemiah chapter 8 when they gathered the Israelites together and they read the word of God and they explained it clearly to the people so that the people could then apply it to their lives. And that's expositional preaching. In expositional preaching, the main point of the passage becomes the main point of the sermon. So when I read a passage of scripture, I should honestly say, I don't know what I'm going to preach on until I've studied it. Until I have thoroughly studied that passage, I don't know what my sermon or my Sunday school lesson is going to be about. The second mark of a healthy church is biblical theology. And that means that we teach to the church who God is based on the Bible and the Bible alone. Biblical theology means we believe that God is who he is based on Scripture based on whom, who he has revealed himself to be, and that alone. We cannot make God out to be who we would like him to be or who we want him to be or who we wish him to be. We must take him at his word. We must preach all of the character qualities and attributes of God as found in Scripture. The third mark of a healthy church is a biblical understanding of the gospel. The gospel is not, if you live a good life, you'll go to heaven. The gospel is not, if you do enough good works, you'll go to heaven. The gospel is not, make Jesus your friend or add Jesus to whatever else you're doing. That is not the gospel at all. The gospel is that there is something radically wrong with me. The gospel is that I deserve to be eternally punished in hell forever. That is my just desert. The gospel is that I can't do anything on my own to save myself. The gospel is, is that Jesus Christ died as a substitute for my sins. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father and there is no other way to heaven the gospel is I must either accept or reject Jesus Christ as my Savior. That is the biblical gospel, and that really leads us into tonight. We will look, excuse me, at, excuse me, at Marks 4, 5, and 6. So our first point is Mark 4, biblical conversion. 
I would like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 3 and verses 1 through 7. John chapter 3 and verses 1 through 7, a passage that all of you are very familiar with. It is Jesus' encounter with the Pharisee named Nicodemus. It's a very important passage on this subject. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus wanted to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus wanted to know that he's going to heaven. Jesus didn't say to him, just keep up the good work that you're doing as a Pharisee. He didn't say, just keep living a good, moral, religious life, and surely you will go to heaven someday. He didn't say, just, on keeping, just keep on teaching the law of Moses. No, Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed a whole new life. That's biblical conversion. I'm going to make a statement to you tonight that I'm going to repeat two more times, so a total of three times, because it is really the heart and soul of all these three marks that I am sharing with you tonight. And that statement is this. Biblical conversion is a dramatic change of life that occurs when a person genuinely repents of his sin and trusts in Christ as his Savior. Biblical conversion is a dramatic change of life that occurs when a person genuinely repents of his sin and trusts in Christ as his Savior. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If you are a true believer... Heard Mark Dever talking about this just a little earlier. Something has happened to you. You can't just say you're a Christian. You can't just decide, I want to do Christian things. You must be recreated. You must be transformed within. In Galatians chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15, Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now watch this. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Your human works don't mean anything as far as salvation. What counts is a new creation. 
If a person has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, he is not saved, he is not born again. Let me say that again. If a person has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, he is not saved, he is not born again. And folks, we need to go over this again and again and again. Just because someone goes to church, just because someone appears to be living a good life, that doesn't mean they're a Christian. And I hear people saying all the time, talking about a friend of theirs or a relative of theirs, are they a Christian? Well, yeah, I think so. They go to church and they certainly seem to have a desire to to live a good life. The question is, are they born again? The question is, have they been biblically converted? So the question becomes, important question, what takes place within the human heart and soul, or excuse me, what takes place within the heart and soul of a human being that causes him to be reborn, that makes him a new person in Christ? What is it that happens inside of us that causes us to be reborn, that makes us a new creature in Christ? Well, conversion is always first and foremost the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in a human life. It is someone believing the gospel message and the Holy Spirit taking the word of God and using it in a person's life to radically transform them within. We heard Thabiti Anyabwile, the African-American gentleman, talking about radical transformation within. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So conversion is a work of God's Spirit in the human heart and soul. Does a person have to make a decision? Of course the answer is yes. But he can do so only as the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces him of the truth of the gospel. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, a person cannot be saved. We need to know that. And that is why we need to preach the gospel carefully, which we'll get into in just a minute. Only the Holy Spirit, taking the gospel message, can make a person a new creation in Christ. When a person prays and receives Christ as Savior, you can be sure that if it's genuine, the Holy Spirit has already been powerfully at work in that person's life. Mark Dever said Jesus taught clearly that we must act, but he also taught that we can act only if God's actions are behind our own. It must be a work of the Holy Spirit. Our second point, Mark 5, is a biblical understanding of evangelism. So this leads right into this. The responsibility to share the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ belongs to all born-again Christians. So when you are reborn, when you become a new creature in Christ, you then have a responsibility to share with others how they also can be born again, how they also can become new creatures in Christ. But you can't tell others how to come to Christ unless you have first come yourself. You can't tell others how to come to Christ unless you first come to him yourself. 
And of course, this is for all Christians to take the gospel to all nations. We do it locally. We have a burden for our state, for our country, but we also have a mandate and obligation biblically to take the gospel to the nations. As far as our own witness, our own evangelism in the sphere in which we live, a long-held misconception among Christians is that evangelism is the responsibility of the professional clergy. Yes, the pastors are to evangelize, but so is every single Christian. We try to emphasize this every year in our local evangelism month in October. It's all of our responsibility. Some people say, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. I do believe there is a gift of evangelism, but it doesn't matter whether you have it or not. Every Christian has the responsibility of evangelism. Those with the gifts of evangelism may be taken by God into different spheres and different areas, but all of us have the responsibility to share with those people who are in our lives. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. To all believers, he says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This doesn't mean that you are a Bible scholar. This doesn't mean, as we saw in one of the videos, that you are always that you have this great defense of the faith always prepared. That's not what it's talking about. When people ask you, why do you believe what you believe? Or how can I know Christ as Savior that you are always prepared to tell them how? You are always prepared to share the gospel with them. So I say to you again, biblical conversion is a dramatic change of life that occurs when a person genuinely repents of his sin and trusts in Christ as his Savior. If a person has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, he is not saved. He is not born again. He may call himself a Christian, but he is not. That is so important to evangelism because in our preaching, and teaching, we must continue to clarify the need for true biblical conversion. Folks, evangelism is saying to people what Jesus said to Nicodemus. In a nutshell, that's what evangelism is. It is saying to people what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. They may say, like Nicodemus, I'm a Pharisee. Or they may say, well, I go to church. I've tried to live a good life. I do read the Bible. I try to pray. And Jesus just cut right through all of that. And that's what we must do. You must be born again. You must become a new creature in Christ. Folks, that is a biblical understanding of evangelism. 
It is not, and I think we should do this, so don't misunderstand. It is not feed the poor. It is not clothing the needy. It is not being a good person. It is not going to church. That is not evangelism. Those things may supplement and complement evangelism, but evangelism at its heart and soul is saying to people, you must be born again. And that is calling people to repent and believe in the gospel. Those two aspects are so important. When we think of the word repent, we primarily think of a turning away from sin. And that is a very important part of repentance. But repentance is more than that. Repentance is saying to that person, you must stop trusting in yourself. You must stop trusting in your good works. You must stop trusting in your church attendance or your community activities. Repent of those things. You must come to the point where you trust in none of those things. The only thing you trust in is Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. I will put my entire faith and trust in what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross. So when I say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I am not trusting in anything or any work. I am trusting in him alone. Well, our third point tonight is Mark 6, a biblical understanding of church membership. And again, Mark number 4, Mark number 5 flow right into this. The age in which we live in has been referred to as an age of commitment phobia. That is a term that Mark Dever uses, commitment phobia. People are hesitant to commit themselves to anything, much less the church. I've shared this with you before, but it is becoming kind of chic, kind of popular today for churches not even to have membership anymore. You just are a regular attender. And so you really don't have a commitment, but you can stay there as long as you like it. People want to occasionally attend church, enjoy some of the benefits of the church, but not make any kind of formal commitment. Church membership, a commitment to a local body's body of believers, plays a crucial role in our spiritual lives and in the advancement of the cause of Christ. Church membership, plays a crucial role in our spiritual lives and in the advancement of the cause of Christ. Church membership and church attendance can be a very important part of your witness for Christ. When you join a church, when you make a commitment to a church, you are saying, I stand with this body of believers in this local area for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. Together, Together, we are going to be a witness for Christ. And the church scatters to evangelize, and we come together to worship and be equipped. Then we scatter to, be, to evangelize. Then we come together to worship and be equipped. 
and so the church goes forth. Church membership and church attendance can be a barometer of your spiritual health and vitality. If a person says, I'm a Christian and has no desire to fellowship with the people of God and be with the people of God, there's something wrong there. Something is right. If you have no desire to be with other believers and to fellowship with the people of God, something is just not right. The church is a body of people who profess and give evidence that they have experienced biblical conversion. So here's the third time. Biblical conversion is a dramatic change of life that occurs when a person genuinely repents of his sin and trusts in Christ as his Savior. Are you with me tonight? You can't be a part of the true church unless you've undergone biblical conversion. So the church is a gathered group of people who have undergone biblical conversion. They've been transformed within. They're born again. They are new creatures in Christ. So the church is a collection of people committed to Christ, who belong to Christ in a specific local area. The vast majority of New Testament letters and commands are written to particular local churches. We saw this quite a bit in the series we went through with David Platt, I don't know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, remember, when we were in the gymnasium. And he talked about, David Platt talked about, there are all kinds of biblical commands and instructions that could never be truly obeyed and fulfilled unless you have committed yourself to a local body of believers. Paul, Peter, and others write, they write to the church at Ephesus. They write to the church at Colossae. They write to the church at Thessalonica. They write to the church at Philippi. They write to the churches in the region of Galatia. It would be exactly the same as if Paul or Peter had written a letter to the church at St. John's, Michigan. These instructions are given to specific groups of people in specific places, which begs the question then, why join a church? And that's a hot topic today. Why join a church? Do we need to join a church? I'm going to close by just giving you six reasons why people should join a church, but I want you to know this is not by any means an exhaustive list. There are many other reasons that could be given. Number one, you should join a church to be accountable to those in spiritual authority and to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Being accountable to spiritual authority and to other people is so important. Every one of us, including me, including me, needs someone else to say to him or her, how are you doing? How's it going? Are you struggling? How can I help? Can I hold you accountable in this particular area of your life? Folks, we need each other more than we will ever understand. We need each other in the church. A second reason to join a church, to work together with other Christians to evangelize the world, to work together. We can do more together 
than we could ever do individually. I think of the Morse family, I think of Lexi. Excellent examples. I praise God for those people who are going to support them as individuals. But I as an individual, you as an individual, could never do what we're able to do as a church. We're able to band together as the people of God to give our offerings and to say to people like the Morse family and to Lexi and to all of our missionaries, we're going to get behind you together as the people of God. We're going to take on a significant portion of your financial support. Together, we've collected money. Together, we've gathered our offerings, and we want to do everything we can to support you and to encourage you. A third reason to join a church is to expose the false teaching that threatens to undermine the faith of God's people. This is a very important reason. When I did a series on worship a number of years ago, it was interesting to look at what the purpose of the New Testament is. One, it is the purpose of the New Testament is to proclaim truth. That's what we do. We proclaim the truth of God. Second, in the New Testament, we find that we are to apply the truth of God. We proclaim God's truth. We apply God's truth. But there was a third significant thing that came out of that study, and that is we are to defend the truth. If you read carefully through the New Testament, you will find a lot of the writings are a defense of the truth. The church is always defending itself against false teaching. And we help each other to know what is false out there and to stand together for what is true. Number four, we should join a church to express genuine care and concern for your brothers and sisters in Christ. To care for each other, to pray for each other. This past week, one of our longtime members, Miriam Patton, went home to be with the Lord. And so we say to Linda and we say to Mary Beth, we're praying for you. We're there for you. We want to help you through this time. And many of you have been so generous and so kind to them, even, even and especially during that long, long time when Miriam wasn't doing well at her home and at Hazel Finley. And that's just one example of genuine care. But just think if you weren't a part of a church besides your own family, who would care for you? Who would be concerned about you? That's part of being uh, part of a church is we come together in care and concern. Number five, you were never meant to live the Christian life alone. You were meant to live it in the midst of a community. We're going to spend all of October talking about this, that we, the church, are a community. Not just the community of St. John's or DeWitt or Ovid or Owasso, but we are the community of God within those communities. We are a community of believers. We encourage one another. We help one another. We're friends with one another. We fellowship with one another. What we do, we do in this close-knit, wonderful community ordained by God. And then finally, number six, we should join a church because we want to glorify God. We want to be with people who want to glorify God, and together 
we want to glorify him in our community, around the world, in this short time that we have upon this earth. So Mark 4 is biblical conversion. You are not a Christian unless you are born again. You are not a Christian unless you are a new creature in Christ. Mark 5, a biblical understanding of evangelism. Evangelism is calling people to be born again to experience true biblical conversion. And Mark 6 is a biblical understanding of church membership. We are those who have experienced biblical conversion. We are those who are born again, who come together as the church, as a community of believers for teaching, for fellowship, for the breaking of bread, for prayer, to be the people of God in our location, in our time in history. Let's pray together. Father, once again I pray, help us to be a healthy church. Help us to evaluate ourselves according to the teachings of your holy word. Oh God, help us to be in a constant process of evaluation and reevaluation in our individual lives and as a body of believers. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.